Welcome to the Buried Treasures Podcast, brought to you by Majid Uthman, where I interview a new guest every week to discover their journey. I'm Hamza Warsi. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salam, ala rasulihi al-ameen, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Jazakumullah khairan everyone joining us. MashaAllah for another edition of this podcast. Uh, we have the one, the only, uh, the former CEO of the WAN, uh, Mana Atik Tayyab. Welcome. Jazakallah khair for having me. No problem, man. Um, so tell me, uh, Mana, we've known each other for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. We've had some uh, good times. Where is the WAN? It was sold for approximately like $300. Bro, you should have sold it to me, man. I, I mean, I was the one who sold it. My father sold it. I, I, I'm pretty sure I was like either out of country or something. I'm not sure. Okay, okay. Wait, so do you go by Mona Atik Tayyab or Tayyab Atik? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would have to ask Ms. Sultana about that one. Yeah. Shout out to Aka Flight as well. He had to revive my memory on that one. Uh-huh. Oh, is that what we used to call him? That's what Ms. Sultana called him, Aka Flight. Oh, okay. He I put like what... AKA Flight for Vince Carter. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I mean, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your early days, where you were born and raised, where you're doing. Yeah, I was born and raised in Chicago. I've lived here most of my life, uh, apart from the time I spent abroad, you know, studying. Um, currently, no longer a Chicago resident, <laughs> right? Uh, North Carolina, Raleigh resident. Mashallah. Life takes you where it takes you. So, I mean, Allah accept. Amen. Right? But, um, yeah, growing up, I think there's just like a few things that were important in life. Placid? Placid was definitely one of them. I was actually going to mention that at uh, number two, right? Uh, but I think like first, just like at home, you know, because alhamdulillah, the influence of Amiabu and just, you know, the environment at home, everything, you know, we learned was like Dean was first. Right? So I think those, that was the important thing in life, you know, like Dean was important. And then of course, sports were, were important. Right, regardless of whether it was basketball or football, early days a little bit of cricket. Right, then I realized I wasn't too good at it. <laughs> I left it, had my growth spurt. So then I'm like, yeah, you know, just use my height for basketball. <laughs> right, but um, yeah. So I mean, I was always sports oriented in the beginning. I actually really wasn't too academically oriented. Yeah. So especially when it came to you know like secular studies, and as I grew up, I you know uh, or now, when I look back at it, like I really regret that, you know, like, uh, you know, why I wasn't oriented that way. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I later came on to like, you know, just some reflections, like especially like with math. Right? The reason I I felt like I wasn't good at math was, you know, like if you study logic, which I have studied, it's very similar to math. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but the difference is that math, it's very abstract. Right? And it doesn't tell you the rationale or the logic behind it when you're studying just arithmetic, mm-hmm. right? So like when you're doing algebra, it doesn't it doesn't show you the proof. Geometry a little bit, right? You have proofs. But I guess I was always like a proof-oriented person. And if I didn't see proofs, like I didn't see the application of it, and I just wouldn't, that's why it didn't click with me. But when I studied logic, I saw like, okay, like I saw how the proof works. I'm like, this is math, but this is better math, yeah. <laughs> right? So then, then I'm, you know, after that, I started thinking like, you know, like I really should have, you know, I see the importance of math now, you know, as like a, 
uh, Islamic studies, and you know, someone that's kind of studied, you know, uh, the traditional Adam course along with like, you know, some more focus on theology and, uh, uh, we can say not not philosophy, not really philosophy, but uh, a little bit of logic here and there, right? And uh, I've come to really see the value of math, right? And even like just you know just science. And I think it's very important for scholars nowadays to be uh, ground well grounded in math and science. So that that is one regret that I had. That you know like if I wish I had you know done more. But you know like high school experience, right? You mentioned the when. That was one thing that I never looked back and regretted. You know, the reason the reason for that was I see many people, they're like, you know, they're like they're like a very they're very straight arrows in high school. Mm -hmm. Right. But then they get whacked up somewhere like after that. And I think the reason is because they never got all that out in high school. Right. So I think like high school, man, you know, chill, bro. Have fun. (laughs) That's what I did. Right. So I'd be like, I had fun and like, you know, Alhamdulillah, I never think like, oh, I missed out on something. No, sure. Okay, it's like, you know, like, okay, I had my fun. And now it's like, you know, I'm an adult now, time to work. Right. <laughs> so I guess I, that's, you know, there, yeah, there's, there's give and take. But I mean, that's, I guess that kind of sums up, like, you know, my, mm. yeah, how I grew up. Nice, mashallah. So okay, you mentioned your father and your mother. Yeah. So your father, mashallah, is a very well-respected man in the community, Hafsday Uh Can you tell me about, you know, his influence on you and uh, becoming a Hafid of the Quran? Oh yeah, definitely. And it all starts with Abu, right? So I mean like if you wake up in the morning, Abu will be cooking breakfast and he has like his own word, right? So it'll start with like Yasin, then Muzammil, Surah Naba, and then whatever else he is doing, his his door is always going, right? Mm-hmm, sure. Like twelve you know, twelve months a year, every day. Right. It's just and then obviously he's teaching kids and it's just amazing. Like nowadays with COVID, like you know, like he's just on the phone. Like it's actually made it easier for him to teach because like he doesn't have to go to people's house. Yeah. So he'll just be driving. He doesn't need a mushaf in front of him. He'll just be listening, fixing it, you know, and just like that's been Abu like all our life, you know, like whether we're in a car ride, wherever we are, right? Like Abu's just always reading. It's like, I mean, like I don't think you can count like how many khatams Abu does because like Abu's just always reading. There's like no counting. And it's just like when you hear like about like Ahlul Quran, it's like Abu's like Honestly, like Ahlul Quran, right? like I've never seen anyone in my life that's that does it as much as Abu. And that's like one thing is like you know like I've seen from Abu's life is like Abu never gets anxious. Abu never gets stressed. Is because I've I've seen him go through like honestly like very like life changing like aspects and life changing uh, moments. Mm-hmm. He's you know he always gets his night's sleep. Yeah, uh, this like he he never loses sleep. And the reason, and, and you know, I I attribute that to his connection to Quran, right? So, uh, uh, even like Ami, right? So, uh, outside of the home, Abu's like you know, every Abu has this exterior that is like, oh man, it's Hafiz Tayyab. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's Never like, he's this, he day. he's got he's got he's like this you know strict guy, yeah, and you know, and like he's famous for his tarawi corrections, and you know, like people like friends would ask me, he's like, hey, do you know if your dad's coming to my tarawi tonight? I'm gonna like review extra. But like, I guess, but at home and like with teaching his to me and my brother, you know, Abu's like actually very soft. And I think that's like, a, that's something that you don't find too much. Many times what you do find is the person's like really hard at home, but like when he's outside, he's soft. Mm-hmm. Abu's actually the opposite way. 
Sure. Right? So like no one sees like the inner side of Abu like other than the kids. Right? So like Abu is very soft with Quran. And you know, like uh Ar Rahman al Quran, right? The Rahman is the one who taught Quran, right? The merciful, right? It's funny, it's actually like when we would recite at home and if it was like if we ever had to recite to Ami, that's when we would be scared. Because like <laughs> if you didn't know it, like Ami would actually do something. Yeah. Right. And like sometimes Ami would listen to Abu listening and he'd be she'd be like they're making so many mistakes. Why aren't you doing anything? I'll be like, yeah, just okay, let them read. I'll be like, no, I send them my way. I'm gonna fix them, you know. <laughs> where's, where's my jump jar, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. So that's what we'd be scared of, Ambi. But like Abu, like the worst, he'd be like, nah, you don't know it. You know, just go back and do it. But um, <clears throat> yeah. So like the most like uh, you know, like when I just noticed like the power power of Quran, right? I remember I think we both went to CPSA and you know like in. Was, there are definitely like really good benefits to going to like Islamic schools, right? Shout out to CBSA, right? <clears throat> but um, I remember in elementary, they taught us about the jad, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> I was scared out of my pants for like the next few nights. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> like, oh man, these guys scary, bro. Right? <clears throat> I couldn't sleep. And I told Abu, Abu, I can't sleep. Abu just came. He just sat next to me. He just started reading Quran. And like after like five minutes, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go sleep now, right? So it's just like, we always felt that, like, because, like, Abu was just, like, that's just, Abu was just, like, a walking Quran for us. And so it's just, uh, and to be honest, I don't think, like, there was ever any question that, you know, we were, were, were we going to do his or not? That was just always a given. It was just a matter of time when. Yeah, it's just a matter of time when. Right? So in that sense, Abu was definitely, like, the one, the one influence that, like, kind of, like, set my life for, like, you know, forever right so yeah in that sense like abu is just yeah everything i have i attribute it to abu so when did you uh start memorizing and you were you memorizing with your father yeah i did my entire hips with my father and he was my only ustad in hips right um but my journey for his was really long right because abu was always the type like i said like it was always a given it's just a matter of time Mm -hmm. right so he's like you don't there's no time crunch that okay you have to do it by now if anything i was more interested in like okay when am i gonna finish then abu was abu was like just keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it like i started from elementary right and then at the at a point like i kept telling people like yeah i'm doing his and then everyone's like man you're not doing his it's been like eight years you're not done yet right like you're a brother lasin from uh, right he'd ask me he's like you're not done yet i'm like no man i'm not done yet okay okay i was doing it with school right so i mean like uh, some people are able to do it like my cousin mufti Sham, he did it uh, without ever taking time off mm-hmm. right but i guess i did it part-time until i was until i finished eighth grade mm-hmm. and then i had like 14 done I had 14 done by that time and definitely needed review. But then that that was when I was like, uh, the thing with Abu was, was uh, if you tell Abu something and you're serious with them, you sit down and you tell him, Abu will always listen to you. Right? He was in the type that he was never the type of parents like, no, I'm, you know, he doesn't listen to his kids. Right? He, he actually, if you speak to him and you like put your argument in front of him, he'll listen. And so I told him like, Abu, like, you know, it's, it's been going on for a long time. I'm like, Abu, I already know what I want to do. You know, I want to study Islam full time, right? And the first step is Hibs, right? <clears throat> so I told him, like, you know, I, I want to take off a year. It's like, okay, fine, let's do it. Right? So my his schedule was really simple. I'd wake up in the morning, Abu would drop me off at MSI. Uh, MSI had his own Wadasa running at that time. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, and the basically, like, I would, I would have, I would take my own breaks. Right? The other thing with Abu was, like, Abu, if you, 
if you act like an adult, Abu will treat you like an adult, right? So my schedule was entirely up to me. Abu would tell me, okay, this is your new lesson. This is your, this is what you have to recite for review. Back, old, you know, nearest, right? Sabak, right? Para sabak, right? Amukta, you can call it muraja, door. All these different terms, they come down to the same thing, right? I had my own incentives. I said, you know, if I memorize my two pages of new, then I'll take a 45 minute nap. <laughs> and I would, and all the other mothers and kids, they'd be looking, he's like, what's this fool doing? He's just like napping, his dad's not here. But you know, I, Abu would come and then, you know, I'd recite. And then, you know, if it was good, it was good. If not, then, you know, I'd feel bad. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I shouldn't have taken that nap, right? But you know, that that's how you build responsibility though. Right, so I mean, kind of like being on, because Abu was still teaching, you know, he was teaching, he was teaching uh, other kids, and he was able to trust me to do it on my own. Sure. Right, so Abu would come, right, and then he'd listen, and then I'd recite. Uh, it was, it was honestly really chill. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was really like easy. Uh, it was easy going. It was never like hard, you know. Alhamdulillah, and so yeah, I mean, that that's basically like my his journey was long. Mm -hmm. Right, but it it culminated with that year, right? But the journey of his doesn't really start till after you finish his. And mm. right? so I think everyone makes that mistake. They think that like you know like, oh, he memorized it. It's retaining it. That's the that's the real question. Mashallah. So you started say elementary school leading up to like ninth grade. You're like fifteen, sixteen at the yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, you, you finish with 14 Jews, you take a year off. And in that year, you were able to finish the rest of your yeah. memorization. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Was it ever weird reciting to your father? No, it wasn't because I've been doing it forever. Mashallah. Right. So that that's the thing. Like, you know, like when me and my brother, we recite the Intarawi and like Abu's behind us. Mm -hmm. Like we never feel like any pressure because it's just like, yeah, I just recited to him before Asr because I review with him anyway, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. Before or after Asr, it's just like you're just repeating the same thing. Right. And that honestly gives you so much confidence because it's just like, you know, it's like if I have recited it to Abu and I didn't make mistakes, like I can recite in front of a thousand people and I'll be like, yeah, I'm good. It's okay. It's, it's not a problem. So tell me about your last sabak. Oh, yeah. that That's that last sabak. I had like four or five pages left. And then I was just like, I was usually doing like two pages, three pages. My last sabak was from Ankabut. Right. I still remember that. Uh, is, uh, so, Ankabut uh, before the start of the 21st years. Right? So, that was because I, I, when I started Hibs, I started from uh, 21st, Utuma Uhiya. Right? And then I started, my last sabak was Ankabut. So, then after I finished the back 10, I started from the beginning. And then the last four pages of Ankabut was my final sabak. Right? It's my final new lesson right? for those that aren't you know, aware of the terminology. Right? So, I was going to do two, or Abu told me to do two. I'm like, no way, man. I can pull it. Right? <laughs> I just kept memorizing, memorizing, memorizing. And then I finished, I think, uh, right before Lahar. Sure. Right? I finished uh, before Lahar. And then uh, the thing was, uh, the thing with Ami Abu is like, uh, Ami always acknowledges like Abu's efforts. And Abu always acknowledges Ami's efforts. Sure. Right, so as soon as I finished Hibs, then uh, Abu's like Abu said, of course, like Mubarak, you know, hug me, whatever. Right, and then he's like, okay, go quickly to your mom, and then come back for Lahar. So then uh, <clears throat> when I went over, like I think Ami already kind of knew I was coming, so I I told her like, okay, like I finished my last book. I think like Ami cried like for like at, like five ten minutes, and she just hugged me. Right, <clears throat> but I think she said like the most uh, interesting thing that you know. 
My mom's not a scholar, right? She's not a hafila, right? But her heart, I don't, and there's very few hearts I've seen that are as pure as hers. So there's some moments in your life that you always remember, right? And that was definitely one of them because she told me, it's like, you know, whatever happens for the rest of your life, you now have something that is more valuable than anything. Right? She's like, you have the most powerful thing in the world. And to be honest, like, you know, like I finished my alim studies and then, you know, I did, you know, I did other stuff after that. I never got the same feeling of accomplishment that I did with him. Right? There's, there's just a, like a raw power to the Quran. Right. So it's just, it's just kalamullah. Right. So, and then from that day forward, like, you know, like I honestly felt like, you know, like whatever happens, like, you know, I'm taken care of. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I have Quran. After that, whatever happens, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you have that, you're good. Right. So and that was is just, you know, like Allah SWT makes certain people say things at certain times. And, you know, that was just something that came from uh, Ami's tongue. And it, like it stuck with me for like the rest of my life. And, you know, like I just noticed it over and over how true it is. Mashallah, mashallah. So, so then how was your your door in revision? I'm assuming it's life. I mean, obviously, it's lifelong regardless. But there was was there any portion where you sat down before returning back to school? Not too long because I, I think I finished like close to summer. So I had summer for revision. Mm-hmm. But I think with Abu is like, you know, like I said, Abu's always reading, right? So like to us, even when I went back to school, like it was just a normal schedule. You'd come home, you'd do homework, whatever. Not that I did too much homework, but but right. I I I want I want to clarify that I'm not like you know I'm not promoting or commending not doing homework. I already said that was a regret. Yeah. Right. But I I just speaking like frankly that's that's what it was, right? <clears throat> but um, Hiv's Abu was like you know like you put in too much time to let that go to waste, right? So like no, we we would have we would have daily like we would sit down and I I would recite to him. Right. And Abu made sure that it wasn't so much that I couldn't handle it with like other school things. Right. <clears throat> to be honest, like once I finished Hibs, like Abu treated me as an entirely different individual. Right. So it's like I, I think that's that's uh and I think that's that has a lot of hikmah in it. How so? It's just he treated me as a fully grown adult, right? Sure. So it's like 16, 17, but that's like, you know, that's that's because like not because there's anything about me that was particular, but it's like this person is now he's Hamid al-Quran, right? He he carries the Quran. So after that, Abu was extremely lenient with me. Right? <clears throat> so if you remember, like, you know, like we would be out like late sometimes. Yeah, right? pretty late. Yeah, pretty late, right? So at times. Right. For those that don't know, like me and Warsi go like way back, like way back, right? Like we had, we've done all of our high school shenanigans together. Like there wasn't a single shenanigan where Warsi wasn't with me or I wasn't with him, right? So <clears throat> we would come home at like some odd times of the night, right? But um, Abu never said anything. I mean, never said anything either because they just had full trust. Like you know, he did his, he's he's on the right track. It's okay, right? So like you know, like there'd be times where I just wake up and I'd be like. Uh, I don't feel like going to school today. I was like, okay. You you were also the scapegoat for a lot of people too. Whenever you know certain people within the the crew would say, you know, Atik's coming, then their parents would relax and be like, okay, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> but, but to my credit, I I would make sure that you know, like we at least went somewhere and did something good. No, mashallah. I mean, the vast majority of our hangouts were we were going to the masjid. We were going to listen to a talk. And then, like, we'd go out to eat, yeah, yeah, yeah. grab dessert, fool around, whatever. But it was always something surrounded with deen yeah, in yeah. that sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Right? 
So I, I, I did know that like other parents, like, you know, they were, they were doing that. So like I did, ha I did feel that responsibility on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was like, okay, like, you know, I can't just mess around with trust, people's trust like that. And I'd like to say that I think that does come from like the hips aspect. Right. So when you, because once you become a hafil, right, although you might not want people to look at you through a different lens, right, you kind of know that people already do. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of her father like complain about it. It's like, oh, I just want to be treated as a normal person. Why do I have to be held to a higher standard? It's like, hey, that's just the game, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's just how it is. Like you have something so valuable with you, you are going to be held to a higher standard. And it's only right that you'd be held to a higher standard, mm -hmm. right? So you, you, I mean, that's, you shouldn't think of that as a burden. You should think of that as an honor. Inshallah. Right? And so, right, what was the initial question? I was asking you, you said that your father treated you differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the sense that like, you know, like I had, I had say, I would say like almost complete freedom, right? But, you know, because, because the fact that he gave me that complete freedom, I never abused that freedom. Mashallah. So then going back to high school, uh, was there any transitional period where you were just like, you know, I missed hives or anything like that, or you're just kind of going with the flow? No, I mean, like, yeah, I, I got, I, I went a year back, but then I ended up taking like extra credits at like uh, at a college, and I ended up. Remember that art class? Sorry, yeah, the art, the art class was like, my art teacher was like, man, where do you come up with this from? Like, I mean, like, I don't know. It was just like that art class. It was just like one of those classes where you could say whatever you wanted in an essay, and the weirder you wrote something, the you know, the more wowing or fascinating it was so i'm like all right man i can make up stories you know i'm good at that right so that that was yeah and then i, I ended up graduating with the rest of my class yeah right sure. so like I, I didn't i didn't fall behind or anything but yeah and then uh there was a transition period where i thought like you know where i was kind of really pushing to not go back to high school mm -hmm. um because i just i figured like you know like i in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm not doing this for, I'm going to be doing like Islamic studies full time. So I don't see why I need to be here. But um, I think when I look back at my life, not that I'm too old, you know, but just whatever I've had, right? Um, I, I One thing that like really clear to me is like Allah SWT has always had a plan, right? And that like, I think I'm planning things, but I'm not really the one who's planning. Mm -hmm. right? So like when I think back to like, you know, like, uh, you know, the importance of, why I should have gone to high school and I did, right? Mm -hmm. I noticed that like uh, people that haven't gone to high school, when it comes to connecting with high schoolers and kids at that age, right? And staying relevant to them, it really helps if you've actually lived the high school life, mm -hmm. right? If you haven't, you know, if you haven't lived the high school life and you haven't gone through all of that, you don't have anything to relate with them, right? So you don't know, like, you know, you don't know what's going on, right? And, you know, you kind of lose the factor of staying young. I, I mean, you know, if that's how I can put it, right? I, I, I wouldn't say like, you know, like I'm, I'm very good at working with youth or something, but I've had relative success where I feel like I can f connect better with the youth. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is like, you know, you can speak their language. And, and the reason you can speak their language is because, you know, you, you're coming from a shared experience. Right, the experience of high school, the experience I did a couple semesters at COD, right? <clears throat> so you have that, uh, you have that shared experience with them, right? So I think that in that sense, it was very like, uh, it kind of expands your horizon. Yeah. Whereas if you just go straight to madrasa, then it's kind of it's difficult uh, at sometimes to understand where like you know, 
you might what a high schooler might see as a major problem right you being a madrasa graduate and not really having had the high school uh, experience you'd be like what are you complaining about why is that even a problem right yeah. it's like that's not there's no drama they're like why are you making it into drama but if you've been through high school then you know like high schoolers want to make everything into a drama but you can't tell them that yeah right it's forget high schoolers man like i've seen like you know like people that are about to graduate from like the undergraduate and like you know like the smallest things become like huge dramas it's like man <laughs> but obviously you know you can't tell them that yeah. to their face right so you got to sit there and be like mm, yeah you know it's it's a struggle you know the struggle is real it's not real, but you know, you tell them it's real, mm -hmm. right? The only way you can do that is you can actually relate to them and think that like, you know, if I was in his shoes and if I was at his age, his or her age, right? And given their current circumstances, that probably would feel real, right? Because for them, it really is real, yeah. right? So you have to be able to put yourself in that position to feel what they're feeling, mm -hmm. right? So when I look back at like, you know, you, you kind of always wonder, right? Like what if? Right, if is a door that you shouldn't open, right? But most of us end up thinking about it at least. Right? So when I think about it, Alhamdulillah, like I'm happy that I did go to high school. Sure. Right. So I think the high school experience in general was was a good one for me. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it was a great experience for me. Yeah, I mean, we had fun, but like. <laughs> <laughs> but reflecting back on it, definitely, it was very helpful. But Mashallah, you did also go. Um, to COD for a few semesters as well. You had a little bit of the taste of the college life in that sense. Um, I did so after you graduated from high school from the you know the illustrious Mashallah College Preparatory School of America. Uh, what, what were you doing immediately after? Immediately after, I was I was initially like uh, I had spoken with a uh, few scholars. I had spoken to Mufti Harun, I remember, and I had spoken to others as well. And they both, and they, they all kind of said that, you know, it's good if you can try to do Islamic studies and your secular studies at the same time, mm -hmm. right? Try to do both. And to be honest, if someone has the capacity to do that, I really would recommend that they do that. I've always been a person that's very, very like one that's focused on one thing yeah right? like my siblings always joke that like like if i'm focusing on something they can like be talking to me for five minutes and i have no clue what they're saying until they like scream my name and i'll be like huh right <laughs> so i've i've not been i'm not good at multitasking yeah because of that uh yeah i like i said abu is always very open so like in the beginning i was studying with monazis mm -hmm. right i studied my uh a primary grammar and stuff with him and i was taking classes at cod but at, after like a couple of semesters i just felt like you know like i wasn't able to do justice to either one of them mm -hmm. and i've always been a type of person that like likes to give my full focus to one thing rather than like splitting it between two yeah so i told uh so i told uh abu that like you know this isn't working Mm -hmm. Right. So then after that, that's when I joined the uh, Salam and I had stopped uh, being with, uh, I had stopped doing uh, COD. Mm -hmm. I joined Salam because Mon Aziz at the time, he was, mashallah, Mon Aziz is always busy. Mashallah. <laughs> Absolutely. He's like one of the most busiest people I've seen. And he just, he didn't have the time uh, to do full time. Mm -hmm. So I went and then I asked him and he said, yeah, you know, it's like Mufti Minhaj, I taught him right in the beginning. So he's like, I can vouch for him. And then I obviously I'd seen Mufti Minhaj, Mufti Azim speak before they'd given khutbahs. So I knew of the caliber. I said, yeah, mashallah, let's, let's, I started there. So you're spending about 
You said a year? Close to a year. Okay, so about approximately a year. You're going back and forth between Elgin? And COD, yeah. And COD. Yeah. That's a bit of a commute in that sense. Yeah, so I mean, like, with, with Mona Aziz, I wasn't going every day. Mm-hmm. Right? So it wasn't a commute every day. But uh, and some of the classes I were uh, for COD, I was taking online. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily the commute that was the problem. It's just like, as a person, I'm not good at diverting my attention in two different places. Mm. Right. So it's just like I I know many people are good at it and they've yeah. done it properly. Right. So it really depends on what type of person you are. Mm-hmm. Like if you're good at multitasking, then by all means do it. Yeah. Sure. Right. But uh, if you're not like me. Right. I wasn't. So I felt like I, it'd be one thing like, OK, at least from one, I was deriving like a full benefit. Then I'd be like, OK, like I'll just focus more on this one or the other one. Yeah. It wasn't working out, though. So I figured, you know, like I'll just go and do Islamic studies full time. OK, mashallah. so you end up enrolling at Darussalam. Yeah. Uh, how long are you there? I was at Darussalam for two years. But I wasn't at this nice facility that we have you now. Were, you were pre the masjid, right? In the back of the Shan Masala warehouse. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. When I started, uh, I started with just Mufti Minhaj at that time. Mm. And um, I was the first student of the, not the Nassam, his mother, mm-hmm. but I, I can say maybe like full time the, the Alim course. Right. At that t- at that point, I was just basically doing Arabic with Mufti Min Hajj. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it was really nice because it was just me and it was just Mufti Min Hajj. That's awesome. Yeah. So in fact, for most of my life, I've been uh, the only student in my in my classes. Mashallah. Right. So there's like maybe like one year where I had like sixty other classmates, mm-hmm. and another I had like fifteen other classmates. But for the rest of that. I had maybe like three, four, two. It's been a very small class size. Okay, mashallah. Yeah. So you spent two years at Darussalam. Uh, up till kind of what year in the traditional alim course do you cover? Yeah, so alhamdulillah, since it was just like a very small class size and I had done like a good amount with Monazis, mm-hmm. I, uh, I feel alhamdulillah that when I finished with Monazis, Monazis was to some extent uh, happy with the level that I had reached with him. Yeah, right. Sure. So when I came to Darussalam, I was able to go at a much more accelerated pace. And at that time, I was really into like the Arabic language. Right. I loved literature. Right. The Arabic literature was something that I had never seen before. And even in high school, like I liked literature more than anything else. And when I got in touch with like Arabic literature, especially like the expressions and like the way like, you know, you talk and it's just like, it was just amazing. I loved Arabic literature. You know, and, uh, you know, Mufti Minhaj, Mufti Azim can tell you about that. You know, if you ever ask them, it's like, I'd always just be bugging them for like, you know, like, can we focus more on literature? Can we focus more on literature? You know, like, I just, I just always wanted to read like more books and like, I want to do like, I wanted to build my vocab. You know, other people are like, okay, let's, let's get to the fiqh part or let's get to this part. I was like, no, let's just do Arabic. <laughs> right. So I, I really love that. And, you know, Mufti Azim, uh, Mufti Azim, he had, he really, he also really liked Adab. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like Mufti Minhaj would sometimes just send me, uh, not that Mufti Minhaj was any less in his Arabic, but he would, uh, he would sometimes just send me to Mufti Ali. He was like, okay, go do something with him. And then like, you know, like almost from like the first year, like Mufti Azim just had me like writing essays in Arabic. Like I'd never done that before, but like, you know, it was, it was just like, 
I kind of like that methodology where you kind of just throw the student in like deep waters. Mm -hmm. And I do that with my students and they see that and they're like, you know, like at the end of the year, students usually like email you like about their, you know, their review of the class and like what they think. And like one thing that you'll find is like, this class was the one that challenged me the most. I'm like, yeah, that's right. (laughs) You're here to be challenged. Yeah, mashallah. So yeah, in that sense, like my those first two years of Dar es Salaam's, like they were just like they were golden years, because just like yeah, you went so f- you went at a much accelerated pace because it was just like me, you know Yusuf Roth, Yusuf Roth yeah, was there, sure. and then we had uh, Abdullah, and then there's Mona Zaid, Mona Zaid from New Orleans, right? He finished up, and oh, I Zaid was there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We oh were, no way. We were all Mashallah. old school Dar es Salaam man. Mashallah. Like I had we, no idea. we're like we're like the Shan Masala phase, you know, <laughs> right? So yeah, and then the, it was us four. Yusuf came a little later. Uh, Abdullah came a little later too. At, at one time, we had uh, Dr. Human with us too, Kishavarzi. Oh, nice, mashallah. Right? So we were all taking neural Law with Mufti Izaz together. Right? So that was fun. It was good times. You know? so, and, and I think the second year, they brought on Mufti Izaz because the load of classes was becoming more. Because mm-hmm. the first year, the first uh, intensive year, right? that started, that was my second year. That's when the first batch of the intense, intensive students came. So the the one year program. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That that batch had like uh uh Was uh, Wasi Siddiqui, Omar right? Fazullah. Uh, yeah, and then um what's his name? Ashhad Asfar. Oh, they're all there, right? So like we had a really good time. One of the staples, I think it was like Saturday breakfast. Uh-huh. Right. So we would have like a mother wide, you know, like uh Saturday breakfast and like we would just it was it was just come together to chill, you know. It's like yeah. one the one thing we did was like in that breakfast time you can only speak Arabic. Oh nice. Right? So that was it was nice, you know, like uh it was it was a really nice experience, you know, alhamdulillah. Mashallah. And the only reason we actually had to leave was because they actually told us like at this time we don't have anything more to offer here mm. right so alhamdulillah like the my first two places that i studied like i didn't leave my teachers until the teachers told me okay we don't have anything more to offer you at this time yeah right so then from dar salaam i actually went to zakaria because all my teachers over there they have studied in zakaria mm-hmm. i said like well we know them we can put in a good word and then you know that's that's how i got to zakaria okay so you go to darum zakaria in south africa yeah Okay, so let me ask you a question. You have you been back and forth to Pakistan before? No, or back home. No. Okay. So how was that initial transition going from you know America studying privately with your teachers and then going into a larger institution in South Africa? Yeah. So when it comes to living wise, that was never like you know like facilities wise or stuff like that. That was never an issue. Alhamdulillah, through the barakah of like, you know, the da'wah and tabdeeh, right? You go out and you get used to living in all different types of conditions. Yeah. Right? You know, your, all your belongings are on your back, <laughs> right? That's all you need. So that was never an issue, right? Like the mujahada part of it, that alhamdulillah, I, you know, hands down, if you want to toughen yourself up, go in jamaat. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Like, there's there's no sugarcoating it. Right? So go get yourself, you know, turn yourself into a man. Right, right. I, you know, I, I may not, you know, I may not actively participate yet at this point because I have other responsibilities, but I will never deny the impact that it had on me. Right, and one of the the greatest impacts I can say is that it trained me for the mujahadas that you face in Madrasa so well that it never felt like mujahada. Right, it's just, it's just like yeah, it's life. Yeah, so you, 
Right. But what what was different was yes, like you know when you're when you're studying in the states, every student that comes comes because they want to be there. Yeah. Right. Overseas, that's not the case. Right. So you have students that are there simply because their parents are making them come there. Mm-hmm. You have students that are there because you know the sad it, the sad fact is that you know the mothers will give you lodging and food. Mm-hmm. Right. And they'll cover your expenses if you can't cover them. Mm-hmm. Right. Does that mean all students whose circumstances are like that, they don't actually study properly or they're not in it to study? Absolutely not. Yeah, so how was it different? I mean, in terms of you said the mujahada, the sacrifice, um, there wasn't much change because you were uh, used to going out in khuruj in the path of Allah and going in jamaat and things of that nature. Uh, but aside from that point, in terms of yeah. that. Aside from that point, the one, the one major thing was that not all the students were as studious. Mm-hmm. Right, so that kind of like takes away from like the study environment. Yeah. So that was one. The other factor was just simply the class size, right? So due to the class size, now the discussions in class they become very diluted because there's just so many students, and the teacher has to, the teacher doesn't have time to have like engage back and forth with the students. So you're in a classroom setting with what 50, 60 kids? If I remember correctly, in my class, it was 62. Okay, I'll show that. So it was, it was 62 and we were in fourth year, right? So that means like fourth year, like that's that's very like arbitrary. And so we were doing Quduri. Okay. Yeah. Right? So we are doing Quduri, right? So we kind of like second year fiqh if it translates over to like your normal second or first year fiqh, mm-hmm. a little bit of usul, right? Just uh, that's basically what it was, okay. right? And we did some tarjuma of Quran. Tarjuma is not really a good... Uh, word for it I think tafsir is a little bit better mm-hmm. right because you're checking like some tafsir and you're just learning like mufradat you're learning the vocab of the Quran yeah right? and that's what that year was so I think those were the two things that kind of like um, those were two factors the other factor that I mentioned before was that you know I was really into Arabic at that time mm-hmm. and the way like I was sold on uh, Zakaria was that there's a teacher there his name is Mona Abdul Quddus Saab mm-hmm. Mahmoud Qudus, in all reality, he's a master of Arabic. Mashallah. Right? He's he's like a master, master. Like you know, like when it comes to Nahu, when it comes to Adab, right? he he knows his stuff. You know, but the problem, like I said, is there's just so many students, right? So to be able to get individual time for Mahmoud Qudus was just like it was like next to impossible, because the more the bigger of a personality you are over there, the more you're in demand. Yeah, and there's like. So many students that are much senior to me, of course, Absolutely. and teachers that, and students that have more of a connection with him because they've been there longer. Many students they've done like his, and then they're there, or they're there from first year, so they already have three years of connection with him, right? And another thing I noticed was like many times teachers, they some teachers they didn't want to give time to students probably because they've had you know bad experiences with students who they invested their time in but the student himself was or himself wasn't invested in it mm. right so what's what's happened is like you know you speak to many of the graduates that the first few years of a madrasa any madrasa those are the golden years yeah right because that's when the teacher's giving it all mm-hmm. right and what happens is now the madrasa gets bigger there's more students you know not everyone's going to be at the same level right so the teachers also pick up on that they're like okay like i'm doing i'm putting in all this work to the students but they're not absorbing anything they're not taking anything they're not you know they're not they're not following the discussion Mm -hmm. right so like for example like you know you can ask like people like that 
I didn't graduate from Zakaria. I didn't do Dora uh, with. I didn't get a chance to study Bukhari with Mufti Allah Sab. Right. But if you ask many of the students, they'll say like, you know, of like the, you know, 60 plus students that might be in Dora, there might be like a handful that actually understand what Mufti Allah Sab is talking about. Mm-hmm. But isn't that in general, like you have that concept with anywhere, a, anywhere with bigger classroom setting yeah anywhere that's what i'm saying is 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 not it's not to reflect poorly on one individual madrasa yeah, yeah right it's anywhere right anywhere you go any big university any big you know any big institution you're going to get the same thing mm-hmm. right so i guess to me that stood out more cuz i was coming from a small classroom setting mm. right so and then on top of that, like I wasn't getting the Arabic that I came there for. Yeah. At least in Darussalam, we would like try to speak to, you know, each other in Arabic. The teachers would speak to us in Arabic. Mm-hmm. Muftazim would really like try to create that environment. And, um, you know, that because the institute over there was just so big, Mashallah right? Is to like, uh, you know, you have like 800 plus students. Mashallah. Right? And to, to give Zakaria credit, it's like, it is very spiritual place. And aside, you know, uh, you know, you know, like uh, Han Osman Miwati Sab's, uh, you know, his uh, majlis on Thursday nights. I like, man, that was that was like a powerhouse of just like spirituality. Like you know, like you do your dhikr and stuff. It's it's very powerful, mm-hmm. right? And then like you know, if you, you'll see, you'll have students waking up in the night for tahajjud. Like you know, they're like regularly, Mashallah. right? So like, it's it's definitely a spiritual experience, mm-hmm. right? And um, qira'a. Qira'a was Zakaria's thing, right? So like, uh, you could like, you're like 12 in the night, 11 in the night, you'll hear like some Qira'a students like busting out with Anashid. Uh, another thing in Zakaria was like, you know, like uh, there's like a lot of old abandoned buildings mm-hmm. and like a lot of like the, I don't know what happened in the windows, like they're like window panels that were just like either punched out or something happened to them, right? So like the Qira'a students, they would stand there and they, and then like the room was empty. So this real nice echo, yeah, right? So they would read in through like the, through that window uh-huh. because like, you know, just for the tertil, you know? Yeah. So it's like another place they would do it is like in um, the empty wudu areas because you get like a good echo there too, yeah. right? So like that was, that was like every madrasa has its flavor, right? So mm-hmm. the flavor of madrasa of Zakaria was either fiqh or qira'ah, mm-hmm. right? Uh, not, that's not right. I don't think Arabic was as big of a as big of a thing over there as those two were, right? So personally, for me, I, I felt that wasn't the best fit, right? And one, th- it, it wasn't what you were looking for. It wasn't what I was looking yeah. for, right? Uh, one thing that I did really enjoy there was um, I took a Qaisadis class, right? Uh, I had Tajweed with him. I was doing Jazriya with him, but um. Qaisali would do this thing where the last 10 minutes of class, right? Qaisali was like, uh, I think I connected with him like the best over there, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, I hope he's doing well. Uh, um, at the end of class, like the last 10 minutes, he just is like open for him. You can ask him whatever you want, Mashallah. right? So I would take that opportunity because like what I would do is like, I just go to the, you know, I just go to the library, I'd read whatever I can. And then, you know, Every day I'd have like a question ready for Qaisale, right? <laughs> and the thing was he he really appreciated that, right? So he he really appreciated like, okay, this is a student that's like, you know, actually going and doing the work and you know, it's like he wants to learn. Right. So and then based off popular demand, right? He opened up like a yeah, after like private extra, he opened up like a 
Aqida class. Yeah. Aqida class is not taught in fourth year, right? So like we, we didn't have that. And um, we started doing the, it, it wasn't, we didn't do the whole Risana Qushayriya. We did the Aqida part of it, mm-hmm. right? So we started doing that with Qaisan and Qaisan was really good in Aqida. Right, so I got I, I I got introduced to the science of aqidah through Qaisani actually, Ashana. which later on be, I ended up like dedicating more of my time to. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't like using the word specialization for myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I just like you know, because I, I, I really don't feel that I've done enough to say I'm specialized in it. Mm-hmm. Although like you know like the Darqasim might have called it that. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, no, absolutely. Um, did you know anybody who was there when you were studying? No, I mean, I, I my cousin had been there, but he yeah. was he was in Ifta in uh, Camperdown now. Okay. So he would come by, drop by, check on me every now and then. Yeah. Right? He'd come and he's like, "Man, you've lost a lot of weight." I'm like, "Yeah, around thirty, you know." <laughs> <laughs> but, How was the bride? The brides were good, man. The brides were good, but like that, the, there was something like I, I had gone on a trip with one of my teachers. And I think like the water, like the water in that town was coming from like a river or something. Mm-hmm. It had like some bacteria in it. So like for like six months, I was just continuously just like losing weight. So I lost like around like, and I say like good, like 35 pounds. Wow. Mashallah. So it's just like, but like the thing is like, I didn't notice it. And then like, yeah. you know, it's like, I'm just like, I didn't know what was going on. So like my friends, my classmates, they're like, you're losing a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> what can you do about it, right? Yeah. Were there like uh, were there any other Americans in your class? Yeah, me and Yusuf Ghosh were there. So you you had somewhat of like a correspondence with somebody you knew. You were already classmates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had already we were already classmates at Darslam, and then we were classmates, and we were roommates in Zakaria too. Okay, Masha. The reason I ask is because generally, like, if you go somewhere and you don't know anybody, it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. Versus like knowing at least I one knew, person. I knew one. I mean, I didn't really know him. I was introduced to this person, uh, uh, Mona Ata. He's okay. uh, Mona Abdurrahman. Uh, Mona He teaches in Adar Qasim. Yeah, yeah. His younger brother. Okay, okay So uh, I I went with him, and he he really helped me because he had been there like for most of his studies, right? So uh, that was nice. But um, w- one thing that was like Mufti Azim and them, they knew like some, they knew the teachers there, so they had already told them like you know like, uh, you know Man Abbas, Man Abdullah, right? They're like okay, like these guys are coming, right? So they t- they took care of us, you know, <laughs> like uh, they're coming from there. These are our students, students, you know, the yeah. grand students, right? <laughs> so, right. So I mean, it was it was that that was never an issue that like you know we felt like alienated or anything. It was just Mashallah. yeah, it was, it was very we felt at home. That's awesome, man. Uh, so then you guys come back I'm assuming Ramadan you guys had break yeah come back so you come back to Chicago um, did you know that you weren't going to return I wasn't sure but I was at that time I was really trying to get into Nadwa in India right because Nadwa is known for Adab right it's known for like uh, literature so I was trying my best like when I got here applying for visa but like you know if you have even a grandparent that's from Pakistan, India is not letting you come, right? They're like, no way. So we tried and tried. And then I like, I always knew like, you know, like Mon Abdullah was my classmate, right? In Darussalam. And one thing I was always impressed with was like, he came and like, we might've known like more fiqh or whatever than him at that point when he came. But like Arabic, like just speaking Arabic was a breeze for him. Oh, right? So like, I always looked up to that. I was like, wow, like, you know, that that's, that's very impressive. Mm-hmm. And I want to go a place where I can do that. 
right? So then I'm like, okay, well, you know, Abu's from Pakistan. He has contacts in Karachi. It's like, let's let's do Mother Sabin Abbas. And so I was really excited. And then, you know, I had I had relatives that were living in the Karachi area. Actually, I had relatives that were like literally like five minutes from Mother Sabin oh, Abbas. Sure. Right. So like weekends would always be like a you know like full feast, right? <laughs> yeah. So you, you, so backtracking a little bit, you come back to Chicago, uh, you know, Ramadan, you're spending with your family and you're trying to get into Nadwa, but you're impressed by Mon Abdullah's. I, I always had that in the back of my mind. Okay. And like, you know, like, so I'm like, and then I get, the, I get the number of like Ibn Abbas from Mon Abdullah and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I get in touch with like, uh, the first person I spoke to in Ibn Abbas was uh, Sheikh Abdul Muiz at Tunisi. And Sheikh Abdul Muiz, he teaches Arabic there. And, um, he, uh, sorry, he teaches Bukhari there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't usually teach like the lower classes, but the year I went, Alhamdulillah, I had a chance of studying it with him. Oh, sure so he's the first person I spoke to on the phone and, you know, I used whatever broke Arabic I could to like, you know, kind of impress him that like, hey, like, you know, like I know enough to like be able to like skip the first two years. Cause like I couldn't like give that many years. I couldn't, I wanted to actually join in the sixth year or the fifth year, right? Cause they, they were, they were going to be studying that. How long is it? So, I mean, give it a little bit of context in that sense. So Ibn Abbas's program, the full program, their full program is like, I think, uh, eight or nine years. Okay. Right. And the first four years of Ibn Abbas are just Arabic. You don't touch anything else. You don't touch fiqh. You don't touch asul. You don't touch aqidah. You don't touch anything. Okay. It's just in the first year of uh, Ibn Abbas, you don't even touch grammar. You just... Is just speaking. Like the teacher will point at something in the board, yeah. and they won't even say this. Okay, house in Arabic is bait. They'll show you a picture and say bait, mm-hmm. right? The reason is because they don't want any other language as, uh, kind of like as some as a middleman. Right. The idea is to get you to think in Arabic from day one. Right. So it's like that way Arabic becomes your natural tongue. Is it true that when the second you step foot into the madrasa, you're not allowed to speak any other? You are not allowed to speak. No way. As a student, you're not allowed to. So you guys are only allowed to speak Arabic? We're only allowed to speak Arabic. Are there like snitches? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the class is not supposed to know who's the assigned snitch. Yeah. Right. But every class ends up knowing it right and then like sometimes the snitch will be nice to you he's like hey man look you know i don't i don't want to tell the teacher what you're doing you know so like don't make my job hard and what you're doing is just speaking urdu or english yeah yeah wow okay that's intense yeah it's really intense but that that's what i was looking for you know so like when i first got to ibn abbas like doc, dr amjad <laughs> Dr. Amjad, he's he's the, you know, he's like, he's the principal over there. He's like, he's the founder, right? As soon as he heard I'm from South Africa, he's like, I know how these South Africa guys are. They don't speak in Arabic. Put him in year three. I was like, "Mm -mm, no, I'm not going back to year three, you know? I'm like, I'm going for year three. He's going for year five. Then I go to like, Sheikh Abdul Mirza, like, Ustaz, you got to do something. Then he goes and puts in a word for me. So then we compromise on, you know, year four. Mm-hmm. Year four is their last year of uh, just Arabic, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just um, it was exactly the experience that I was looking for. Oh wow! Like, so... I, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. Mm. Right? It's just like everyone speaking. Like I had a classmate from uh, you know uh, I had a classmate from uh, Mona Anas from uh, Canada, and mm-hmm. uh, he had been there like from the beginning, and he really helped me like you know at my Arabic game. And this guy was in Arabic. He was a genius, mashallah. 
Sure. Right? I mean, like he would write and like, you know, like you'd be like, man, this is like an Arab writing or speaking. Like like proper fusha and like he had like other students in our class, they were just like they were they were great. They're like really good at Arabic, you know? So like we had some we are it was such an intense Arab Arabic schedule. Our first class would be literature. We started from the you know, like the seven hanging poems. We studied that. And then, you know, we worked all the way down to like, you know, the Umayyad period, right? Inshallah. By poems and non-poems. And so you split into two units, one unit one of just poems, unit two of prose, right? And you cover like from the Jahidi period to like the Umayyad period, right? So that was really nice. And then another class that I uh, really benefited from was Sheikh Abdul Mu'iz. He doesn't usually teach that class. Yeah, and uh, it's always and it's always like uh, extra benefit if the book that's being used for the class is actually being taught by the author, right? Absolutely. So Sheikh Abdul Muiz, he the book that Ibn Abbas had been using was authored by Sheikh Abdul Muiz, right? It was a selection, and that year somehow don't know how he ended up teaching that class. Nice. Right? So it's like that was just is just you know the way he taught. There'd be the way it would work is like for four days of the week or five days of the week, you read like uh, selections on a certain topic, and then the 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 last day, Sheikh Abdul Mawiz will come in and be like, put everything away. All you have is a paper and pen. He gives you the topic, and then you write for forty five minutes. You're just writing. Oh wow! Right, and then the next day, like he'll have you stand up and present it. Right. So what we learned from that and like, you know, the ability to like just uh, be able to write in Arabic, to be able to speak in Arabic, present in Arabic. You have well, you have a question in class. You have to ask in Arabic. If the teacher asks you something, you have to answer in Arabic. You have to you know, everything you're doing has to be done in Arabic. Right. So were there students that didn't comply? Just human nature. Of course, there's students that don't yeah. comply. Right? But, I mean, I worked I worked my utmost best to. You know, like, because that's what I wanted. And I, I really, you know, I, I really benefited from that year over there. So what challenges did you face? I mean, compared to South Africa, compared to first America, then to South Africa, you said the Mujahida wasn't too difficult to adapt to. Now, versus Pakistan, was there any significant difference or was it easier going in there? Or are you just too old and you just mature enough to just keep going? Like, oh, yeah. this is life. Mujahida is like, Mujahida is like, yeah, I mean, definitely like, you know, like, you know what happens like when we speak about like the mujahada that like you know you have at a mother's side like many times like young students or like they're student they're like starting they actually get fascinated by that it's like oh i want to go through that experience right? but the idea is you know you always want to ask for afia right so I mean, if you have the op opportunity of studying the same caliber with luxury why are you asking for mujahada mm -hmm. right so did we have mujahada yes like i mean we didn't have beds over there. We had 200 people to a single hall, right, sleeping. There, forget about social distancing. You had like, <laughs> <laughs> you have maybe a foot or two before the other guy's like mattress was next to you, right? All of your belongings, they literally like what you're going to be living on for a year is in a chest, one big chest that can fit in a cabinet, right? So like at any given moment, you can just pick it up and leave. It's like, this is my life. Right? Oh, so it's like, but yeah, like, you know, there's, uh, you know, water over there. Sometimes there's water, sometimes there's not, you know, uh, it's hot, you know, there's no, there's no AC and there's fans. Right? But I mean, it's like, but that's, I mean, you expect that, right? Like, you know, you don't expect to be in the lap of luxury when you're, you know, 
because your eyes on the target it's not about like you know it's like it's hard yeah sure was 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 the were there mujahada in uh was there mujahada in uh south africa yeah definitely i mean like you know sometimes the water would be so cold that if you actually wanted warm water you'd have to get up at like maybe like two three in the night because why you have like 800 students using the same water it's not gonna right the hot water finishes in like all like 10 15 minutes yeah right so i'll say you have to you know like and like the wudu areas outside the dorms they're outside they're outside right it's not like a closed uh fixture right so it's like it's in the open so like south africa's winters get cold right mm -hmm. so i mean like yeah you, know, you don't you don't have any central heating in the dorms so, I mean, like, there are times when you have to make ghusl before salah, right? And it's just like, my goodness, like, man, that's like freezing water. Like, the only way you can do it is like, you literally like have to be jumping in the shower. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> it, you have to get your body body temperature up. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's like, yeah, well, like you know, in South Africa, we had a little bit more than like a chest. We had like everyone had like one closet door, mm -hmm. right? So whatever you can fit into a closet. Your snacks, whatever, right? Everything goes goes over there, mm -hmm. right? But that's like, I mean, I don't think of that as like, you know, like that's that's not the point of focus for me. Mm -hmm. right? So I mean, yeah, there's mujahada. It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you study for one year at Ibn Abbas, um, yeah. which is, you know, anything and everything you're looking for. Yeah. Right. You come back uh, during break. Yeah. Okay, so where about us? You have to go for forty days first before you can. At the end of year, at the end of the year, you have to go for forty days. We were able to bring them down to like 25, 30 days. <laughs> like we're from America, you know, we give VIP treatment. Yeah. yeah. So then we went. That was a really nice experience too. Like we went to like the north side of Pakistan. Like into the mountains. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh man, it's beautiful. We went to this place. Like you know our. <laughs> Everything for us was VIP. We were from America. So, like, we made, like, one of our own classmates, our Amir. <laughs> so that was, like, you know, like, all the adventurous excursions we needed were available whenever we needed them. So we went, like, up, like, these, like, you rented, like, you get, not rented. We got the driver, like, they had, like, a Jeep. You go, like, up the mountain. And, like, it's called Seiful Muluk Jin. So it's, like, it's, uh, it's, like, this frozen lake in, on the top or, like, in, in, in the middle of four mountain peaks. Oh wow! And like down, down, like the, the base of the mountain is hot. It's hot, but like on the top of the mountain is like it's frozen. It's like Freezing, ice. Yeah. yeah, it's like there's like snow there. I was in chapels. I was like, oh man, <laughs> this is a bad move. <laughs> it was like slipping, and then like you know, like we had took like a horse ride. So like we had fun there, man. Like my classmates, most of them were like local Pakistanis, right? So like exams are done. They all had like their like you know like motorcycles are big over there. Yeah. So like all right, let's go. They, you know, <laughs> and you just sit on it. It's like I was scared for my life. I was like, man, these guys are driving like crazy. But you know, for Pakistan, that's just how you drive, right? <laughs> so. It's good times, alhamdulillah. Mashallah. So, so before I move on to the next one, what was the schedule like? What was the daily routine? At oh, yeah. Pakistan's schedule was definitely more challenging than Darum Zakriya. Um, in the winter, the hajjud was mandatory. Oh, right? wow. So, like, what would happen was the teacher would come and <laughs> he would take the lock and, like, the gates, gates for the hall were, like, metal, right? So, they're, like, bars, right? It's not as bad as it sounds. It sounds like I'm describing, huh? Keys? No, he would take the lock. Oh wow! And then he would just take it across the bars, just like back and forth. It was like, just like, oh my god! It's like, dude, it's like, oh man. But you know, like what I realized was like, you know, like 
that's something that you know everyone should try to do right pray to hajjud so it's like sometimes you just need that extra push so it's like uh, you know like you have to understand like people are like you know like why are they forcing something that's nothing you know why are you doing that it's like yeah but i mean you have to look at like okay maybe i was like 22 23 right but you have to understand there's like students there that are like maybe like 14 15 16 right they're not at the same level of maturity yeah. right so they they what they need is right so for example like a kid right you teach a kid to pray if they don't pray you tell them well guess what you still have to pray mm-hmm. right eventually they build a love for salah eventually they understand why right but what's the purpose of it is to build that habit in them yeah right so that's all that was right so it's like i think people like take things that they hear about madaris that like you know like why are they forcing things you know yeah yeah just if it was like you know if you have in a setting where like everyone is like 18 and above and everyone's like old enough to make their own like calculated mature decisions then yeah maybe it's, it wouldn't be the best tactic mm-hmm. right? it might not be the best approach but when you have so many students of different levels and different ages right you go by the lowest common denominator Right? So, yeah, would we have interesting stories of students like, you know, going, sneaking out and then sleeping under the stairs or on the roof, right? And they're like throwing blankets over themselves so that like in like camouflaging so the teacher can't see that. Yeah, we have all that. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, the great majority of the students still woke up and prayed to Hajjad. Right? So, I mean, that was, that's something like, that's a very spiritual start for your day, right? So you start with the Hajjud and then uh, after Fajr, we had mandatory like exercise like outside. And Dr. Amjad's a doctor, right? So he'd make the, he'd actually, <laughs> he would actually make the teachers do it too. So that was interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. That part was hard because like, I'm not a morning person. Yeah. Like I'm not a morning person. It's really difficult. And like trying to tell me like, you know, do like, you know, go do push-ups and run and do stuff. And like push-ups, like there's no mat. It's not a gym. You're using like your fist on the concrete. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't even like, you know, so like you'll have like rocks embedded in your palms. Right. But like it toughens you up. Right. So I mean like you're you know, just... Yeah, so that was so. Then after the after exercise, we had uh, breakfast. Right after breakfast, you had an option if you wanted to go for take a short like nap, and then classes start. I don't remember exactly when classes you start. I think it was like seven or seven thirty. I'm not sure. I would always offer the nap. <laughs> I needed it though, right? So the thing was like you know people are like oh man you know you're not supposed to sleep after Fajr. It's true. It's good if you don't. But some people, they won't, like, survive if they don't get that nap, right? And you then, won't function. Right? And then you won't function in class. So if you're one of those students that needs to sleep, get your sleep, right? Because it's not worth it, like, you know, like, staying up. You're, like, you know, I'm just going to read more. I'm going to study more. And then when it comes to class time, like, you're asleep, right? You're, you're never going to get outside of class what you're going to get in class, right? Because that's the teachers coming from years of experience you're not going to be you're not going to get that in like one night's research right so i would do that and then after class then if i remember correctly this is a while back right so if i remember correctly then after that we would have lunch and then we would have salah and then we would have our nap time right nap time was a savior Right, that's the only way you could function. Right, uh, the other thing about Ibn Abbas's schedule that was actually really, uh, really beneficial was they had a mandatory Quran class. Oh, nice. Right, so like if you're a Hafil, part of your grade was actually your hip. 
<laughs> so that that was really important because like after after nap, right or qaylula time, right? Nap sounds like you know like you're in preschool, but yeah, <laughs> but, right. It's after your qaylula, right? Then you go then you go to the main hall, and then everyone has like Quran class there, right? So her father have to recite like a juz a day or however much they can manage, right? And then non horfal actually have have a certain amount that they have to memorize, right? And then we'd also have a class where you had to memorize hadith. Right, so those those are some of the uh, the different things about Ibn Abbas that I didn't find in other madaris. Like, there was they were trying to find a balance between hifdul mutun and faham. Right, so hifdul mutun is just like memorizing text. So they had there's in Ibn Abbas they have one section where the kids just memorize like the hadith that you find both in Muslim and Bukhari. Mm-hmm. Right, and then uh, they ha- you have hafal that are literally memorized like. You know, like a good chunk of a hadith. Sure. Right? So, like, I and th- their their curriculum was different. So, we'd have some that would like uh, matriculate into our classes that were coming from the Hifdul uh, Hadith department. So, they had done that. Usually, they're much younger because to be able to memorize like that, usually they're like younger. Yeah. Right. So, they these guys, like, they knew their Hifdul Hadith just like they did Hifdul Quran. Sure. Right. So, it was just, it was really like, it was really like impressive. And so, yeah, so then we'd have Qaylula and then we'd have our Quran class. Then after Quran class, classes would resume. resume. After Asr, you have break to Maghrib. After Asr, you can go wherever you want, right? You can go outside the madrasa. We put up a basket, we put up a backboard and a rim on a crooked tree. <laughs> you know, we, we, me, my cousin was with me, Rafi Dawood. He spent, oh, sure. he spent that year with me. Uh, and then, um, so we, and there were like two other, like, uh, there are two other Americans there. Was Zach there too? Sorry, Zach. Yeah, yeah, he was there. So there are three other, right? So Zachary was there. Uh, uh, Mona Arsalan was there. Mona Hassan was there. Uh, they graduated now. They're actually back in Texas, right? Uh, there, they did their whole thing there, or most of it, and like their Arabic is like, mashallah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I know they used to tell me like all the times, like you know, like some of like the imam in their masjid, like you know, like uh, he was like Arab, and like he, yeah. they would speak to him in Arab, Arabic. He's like, he's like, man, like I wish I had a daughter so I could just marry her off to you, <laughs> because like th- that really gets people. Like when you hear like you know like proper like fusha Arabic, it's like it's it's a beautiful thing. It's very pure. And it's very pure, right? It's like this person is speaking, like he's just like he's like wow, like you know, like. That that level of Arabic for a non-Arab is possible, right? So like I think that Ibn Abbas just stands like a testament to that. I know I'm getting off track, but like one of like most memorable experiences, like there's like this cute little Patan kid, yeah. right? He's just and uh, Ibn Abbas has like this like um you can call it like a daycare kind of thing, right? Like a Montessori, mm-hmm. right? And they teach the kids like everything in Arabic. Right, so like colors, shapes, letters, like all your household items. Yeah. Right. So one day, like I'm just sitting like outside, and like obviously, like their brother or someone was probably studying Ibn Abbas, and these just two Patan kids, they're just sitting there, and they're like maybe like four or five, and they're having like a full conversation in Arabic. Mashallah. I was like, man, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like I, you know, like I start, I, I try doing that with my son, like Furqan. Yeah. But like the thing is, like the environment's not there, you know, like if I'm like the only one that's doing it, it's just like very difficult, mm-hmm. right? But like that, that level is possible. And I really hope that like somewhere in the future, like near future, like we can find that like in the States, mm-hmm. we just have like a pure like Arabic Fusha environment. Like it would be so nice to like be able to like just send, you know, like your kid and like 
you know, save like all that struggle, like, you know, learning, like, you know, having to go through like as a Nate, as a is foreign language to you mm -hmm. rather than it just being like something that comes naturally to you. Yeah, sure right? So, yeah. So then after us, we'd have break and we'd play, usually play basketball. Right. And then after Maghreb was mandatory review session. Wait, did you guys, ha you guys brought like a basketball for America? Uh, Mona, yeah. Arsalan, Hassan had been there for a while. So oh, they, they had it. Right. I was just, I was just imagining you guys shooting like with mangoes or something. No, 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 no. <laughs> we, we had a basketball. We had a basketball. I think the board, we had to get custom made. The oh, board wow. and yeah, the board we got custom made, right? We got it like uh, we got it custom made because they don't. I don't know. They don't have ba yeah backboard. Yeah, it's it's not really big. There's like like I remember one time we were playing and then like this one guy he just came up. He's like, "Oh, you guys are playing? I can set up a tournament for you guys with like these other people," because it was like such like a foreign thing to see like people like playing like uh, basketball over there. Mm -hmm. But eventually, like we, you know, like we talked to these teachers, and they made like a, they actually made a court for like the oh, American Canadian uh, students. They put down concrete and they put up like basketball hoops and stuff. Mashallah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, I call myself Miftahul Khair for that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like we went back and forth with Sheikh Abdul Muraiz. Like you know, we had to negotiate, and then like you know, Alhamdulillah, it worked out. Nice, Mashallah. And then, yeah, so after Maghrib would be mandatory review session, right? So, like, you had to sit two hours, you just, time for your homework, time to study, go over your lessons, prepare the next lesson for the, prepare the lesson for the next day. After that, we had dinner, right? Dinner was, dinner and lunch, they were mujahada, we would get meat once a week, mm -hmm. right? So, you'd meet once a week, and then rice once a week. Wait, then what are you guys eating, dal? Some days we'd have beans, some days it'd be just, like, chickpeas. Um, some days it'd be, yeah, dal, some days it'd just like potatoes. Oh, so it, wait, so once a week you had rice and once a week you guys had meat. Yeah. Once a week. Yeah. And then Mashallah. the thing was like, uh, lunch and dinner is always the same thing. They're not two different things. And you didn't know why you were losing so much weight? I, I actually didn't lose weight in Pakistan. Oh, that was in uh, that South, South Africa. Africa. Okay, okay. Yeah. In Pakistan, like my relatives were close by. Oh, right? so, so you like, had a... Yeah, so like at least on the weekends, like, you know, like if I lost any weight in the week, I'd gain it on the weekend. <laughs> but, yeah. That's, but that's, I mean, that's that concept in and of itself is so foreign to so many people. Which not, In the sense of not eating meat. Mm, yeah, it's foreign to me, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ask my wife. I tell her, like, you know, when we cook it, you got to have a piece of meat at every bite, dude. <laughs> We're carnivores, bro. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a good thing. It's, I mean, you shouldn't have that much focus on meat, but it's yeah. just, I don't know, man. Mashallah, our family, we eat a lot, you know? Yeah, so, like, sure. coming coming to Pakistan and, like, the whole, like, once meat once a week, there's, that was an adjustment, right? But, I mean, like, you know, that's just, those things are what they are. Yeah. Right? So, like, yeah. And then another thing that was interesting about Ibn Abbas was, like, mandatory khidmah. So like once a month, it would be like one class's turn to like cut all the vegetables, the onions, the for the whole week, right? So you had to cut all the onions, the ves the potatoes, the carrots. You had to peel the carrots, right? So preparing for the we lunch wouldn't and cook dinner. it, but we would pre do the prep work, prep work right? Then after that, you know, uh, putting out the putting out the you know the dastarhan, right? Yeah. The sufra. We would call it sufra over there, right? And then serving. Right, and then after serving, I mean that part's normal. But then for eight hundred students, you'd also have to do all their dishes, mm. right? So to wash all their dishes, right, and then clean the mats and stuff. So that week was always hard, right? Because just you really get exhausted. 
Yeah. Right. So it's like because like it's just because it's in the nighttime now, right? And then like it's, it's like almost ish that time. You've had a pretty packed schedule. Then you had to get up again in the morning, but like you can't say no because like you know it's like it's mandatory. You have to. Yeah. Right. So that that's like excellent therapy. It's like you know it doesn't matter like who you are. It doesn't matter if you're in Bukhari, you still have to do your khidmah. Mashallah. Right. So it's like yeah, th- that that part was like really like it was a humbling experience. Like you know. Of course, students are going to be students like, hey, no, I don't want the oil on the top or give me the oil on the top. Like, <laughs> it, meat day, meat day was a disaster because everyone wants the meat, you know. I can it's imagine. like they're one week deprived and it's like if they don't get the meat and then you have to like ration out the meat so that like all the students can get the meat. You're not sneaking any piece of meat into your pocket or anything? So actually, the people in Khidmat, they get to eat first. Oh, right? nice. But then you, you had to share like out of one bucket, right? So like yeah. everyone has one bucket. So you, the whole class is sharing out of a bucket. So we had like 16 people. Our class was really tight. And right? so like everyone like, you know, looked out for each other and like, you know, that was just really nice. Right? So yeah, the, the khidma was, that was something else that stands out. And then after Isha, you're free, right? You can do what you want. You can go, uh, a lot of our teachers would emphasize that we go to the library. The library would always be open for students, mm-hmm. right? Uh, then, you know, and then it's sleep time, right? So uh, in the sleeping hall, the lights would go out at a certain time, right? Uh, you know, there's no phones allowed, right? Uh, again, some people might be like, isn't that like too restrictive? I think it just goes back to the same thing, right? You have people of different, you know, ages, different maturity levels, right? Even possibly different motives, right? So if someone's not there because they they don't actually want to study, yeah, right? A phone in their hand is not probably spiritually beneficial for them, right? It could lead to it could lead to things that shouldn't be found in a madrasa. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Right, so safety precautions, right? Safety measures. It's better for them not to have the phone. Obviously, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, but and Ibn Abbas was actually much more lenient when it comes to electronics than like uh, other madaris. Mm-hmm. And they allowed you to have an iPad because Dr. Amjad, like you know, like he's not his doctor, right? He's very like respected and like he understands how technology and everything works. So he's like. Yeah, it was like your yeah, iPad is beneficial. You can download books on it. You can download lectures on it, right? So like, I would listen to like improve my Arabic. I would listen to like Arabic lectures like once a night, right before I fell asleep, right? So like that, you know. And you can like download books on it and read it and have stuff like. So we were allowed that. We had computers in the library. I know that doesn't sound like oh, right? isn't that normal? But like, yeah, in Pakistan, that's not normal, right? For most madaris, like to have like a computer like in the library and stuff like that that students can access right so in that sense you know alhamdulillah we i used i, I took full benefit of the library there right so because uh, one thing that was like uh, in zakaria zakaria we had like certain times that students could go into the library mm-hmm. right uh i think that's because in zakaria like it was more dedicated to like the teachers and like more advanced students it's just because they had more of that at that time Right, and they had more of those services which required that, like those, and they have uh, primary access to it. And over here, students were had more free access of the library, right? so that was I, I found that very beneficial. You can like, and the thing that I said, uh, students at Ibn Abbas for the most part, many of them were very studious. Like you'd have students that were in the library till like two, three in the night just studying, right. Not stuff that they had to do. It wasn't mandatory. I mean, it's just like it's all extra. Yeah, it's just all extra right, on their own, just like researching, researching, researching. So yeah, 
that's that's the breakdown of the daily schedule. Nice, mashallah. So you come back to Chicago uh, after your 25 days in Jamaat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> after some negotiation. Um, you returned back to Chicago. Did you know that you didn't want to go back? Or, you no, know, what changed? No, I, I definitely wanted to go back. I definitely wanted to go back, but circumstances at home, right? You know, being the eldest son, there are some expectations and things that you know you have to take care of, yeah. uh, along with like visa issues, right? So like I hadn't gotten my dual citizenship uh, with Pakistan yet, mm. and um, you know, there's just like you know, uh, I I wasn't able to you, you know like Madaris don't have like study visas that they can give out, so like to just com- continuously be going back like on a visiting visa. Right, it it could lead to unnecessary like questioning. Got right? it. Right, so like for that reason, you know, uh, and other reasons, you know, the expectations at home and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right, they, I decided not not to go back. And then you ended up going to Dar al Qasim. Yeah, I went ended up going to Dar al Qasim. Yeah. Okay, so in what year did you join in Dar al Qasim's program, and how was that? Yeah, so Dar al Qasim has like their intermediate. They have the Shikhlhin, then they have the intermediate program, and then they have the advanced program. Right, so Sheikh Hind is one year intensive, right? And then you go into the intermediate program, which is um, four years. The advanced program is three years, right? And then you specialize in what you want after that. Right. So I joined, I was, because I had done, um, you know, I had done Quduri and I had done like Usul Shashi. So I had done some Usul, I had done Fiqh. Uh, only thing that I hadn't formally done was aqidah, right? Mm-hmm. But I, ha- like I said, like I had done some uh, informally with Qaisad uh, and Zakaria. Yeah. Right. So I still remember, like, uh, uh, Mohan Bilal was the one. He 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 took my uh, placement test when I first came, right? So and then he's he's like, "What did you study in aqidah?" Like I studied aqidah to Qushayriya. He's like. He has a risada. I'm like, but I studied aqidah to Qushayriya. I'm like, he's like, there's them. And then later I remembered like seeing that like, okay, the aqidah to Qushayriya, which Qayyasani taught, taught was actually part of the risada to Qushayriya. Oh, okay. Right? But anyway, like I passed the placement test and then we placed into the fourth year. So then you you spent how many years studying at Darqasim? I spent that year. So one year of the intermediate, the last year, then three years uh, as uh, advanced. And then I did one year uh, specialization part time. I was also teaching full time, mm-hmm. so I I had one one class. I was actually taking a class, and then I had two free periods for research. Okay, nice. So a total of I'd say for five five years at Darqasim. That's the longest I've been anywhere. Darqasim, to my understanding, their Dora Hadith year is spread out. Yes, it's spread into three years. Yeah. Spread into three years. So you, you mentioned you were the only student there. At the time, in the first year, I had uh, three classmates. I had uh, I had Mona Abdullah, and Sheikh Mansour Nasri. He's oh, the, he works as the admin over there now at Dagasim, the main branch. Uh, then we had uh, uh, Sidi Popal, Omar Popal. Right? So he was with us. Uh, that it was us four. It was really nice. You know, we were like the first, like I think, batch of like you know, like the to graduate the. Uh, and the intermediate program mm-hmm. from there it was a really nice experience um it was my first um formal introduction to aqidah and i think like i immediately just fell in love with it mm-hmm. right so like i said like allah SWT always has a plan so it's like everything up till then was arabic and then i guess like the focus shifted right 
it, it might be interesting to like backtrack a little. So like when I was still in Dar Salaam, we went to uh, we went to the Tablighi Marcus once, right? As a class, you know, with our teachers. And um, there's there's a person there. He's an exceptional person, right? Uh, Sheikh Abu Bakr. Mashallah. Right? I'm trying to get him on, man. Yeah, he's. Mashallah. You you need to get him on. Yeah, mashallah. Right? So he gave us this talk, and then you know this stuff was just like going over our heads, mm-hmm. right? And uh, <laughs> I still remember what he said. He's like, you know, like now I don't want you to think about any of this, right? Don't ask any questions. Just let it marinate. I did the opposite, right? <laughs> I did the. <laughs> Uh, I've I've never been good with you know when someone tells me don't ask questions like I just like it's just like it's, it makes me like feel like really uncomfortable yeah right so that's like you know the whole like you know you know just listen that is just very like alien to me mm-hmm. right so I actually sat down to like I think like the talk he gave us like a midnight talk you know yeah young guys like all that like midnight khatra stuff right? they don't want to go to sleep you know? I didn't want to at that time either so. <laughs> Now, if you ask me, it's like, I just want to sleep, you know, yeah. your kid wakes you up at like 630 in the morning. It's like, yeah, I want to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> right. So then, but uh, yeah, so then after that, I just sat down and just like, I just wrote down all the questions that I've ever had about Islam. Mm-hmm. Right. Like from the from questions of like, you know, like how do we differentiate our belief from like how Christians believe, you know, like what is blind faith? Like, is that does that have a place in Islam or, you know, do you have does it have to be rationalized? Which part of the faith has to be rationalized? Which doesn't have to be rationalized? You know, what is the basis of our foundation? What does Iman actually mean? Right. How do we know the Prophet is actually the Prophet? Sorry, right. Sorry. Uh, how do you know the Quran is like actually the word of Allah, right? Like questions that, you know, like many like conservative minded people, they might be like, oh, this is blasphemous. Yeah. Like how could you ask such a question, right? So I had like an allergic reaction. <laughs> I had an opposite reaction to his, right? But like, I think that actually became like the most beneficial talk, right? That uh, I'd ever, I've ever had, right? Why? Because it fueled what was to come much later right so what happens like i still remember the notebooks green right i had like this green thin notebook with me and then i wrote out like six seven maybe like eight pages of just questions right just questions and i told myself okay like my my goal of my studying is i want to be able to satisfactorily answer every single one of these questions mm-hmm. right until i got to dal qasim i hadn't been able to even touch those questions because right? we hadn't, we hadn't, most of them were like aqidah related, right? And then what I noticed was like when I got to the Al-Qasim and I started studying Shah Aqaid Nasifiya with Dr. Muhammad, and Dr. Muhammad, he's just, he's a master when it comes to like, you know, like aqidah, right? So he's just, I, I've learned so much from, from Dr. Muhammad, like everything, almost everything I have in like aqidah, like I attributed to Dr. Muhammad. Right? And he's like, he's like my mentor, like, you know, like every time I had any questions, like he never ever said like, you know, don't ask this question. Mm-hmm. Right, Dr. Muhammad has like this uh, pet phrase, like when he explains something to you like five times and you still don't get it, then it's like my beloved brother. <laughs> that's such a nice way to put it. <laughs> that that's that's his way of saying it's like okay, you need to listen now. <laughs> He's so patient. Right? He's like, my beloved brother. <laughs> right? He asks any of his students, right? That, that's like his pet phrase, like when he's like, okay, I'm going to explain it the 10th time now. <laughs> right? So, 
But yeah, so he's he's just that was like that year was just like so eye opening to me in the sense that before I had never seen anyone address these questions. Mm-hmm. Right. And many times all you need is someone to say like, hey, you're not the first genius that's had this question. Mm-hmm. Right. And just knowing that there's someone in our tradition that not, you know, years ago, like centuries ago, has already talked about this question that you had. Mm-hmm. Right. Have already talked about that question you had. It gives you so much uh, confidence to know that, hey, we're not avoiding questions here. Yeah. Right. We're not we're not uh, we're not skirting away from issues that need to be discussed. Right. No, these issues have been discussed a long time ago. They've been answered. They've been dealt with. Right. So in the, my first year, what happened was many times I'd I know I'd have a question. I'd see the question being addressed, but I wasn't at the level where I would necessarily understand the answer. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's just still my first exposure to the science. Right. Yeah. So. But what that gave me was the fuel that like, okay, I want to study this more now because I know it's there, right? So some of my questions did get answered. A lot of them through just discussions with like Dr. Muhammad back and forth, back and forth. You know, I think I have to give an honorable mention, of course, to Sheikh Amin too. Uh, you know, so I still remember this, uh, our class, we requested a, a we requested a, a majlis or just like a, you know, something with Sheikh Amin where we had like compiled some of our questions, right? Mm-hmm. And Sheikh Hamid also is like, uh, Sheikh Hamid is like really not a person who de- he focuses on the metan on the book. He says that's a handicap. Right? So he says the teacher should be able to teach without the aid of a book. If you know the subject, you don't need the book to teach. Yeah. Right. So Sheikh Hamid, he's very like, he when he teaches you something, it's in a very like clear cut format so that you can remember in your mind. Mm-hmm. Right. So we asked him like some, you know, what we thought were questions that were tough. Right. But, you know, we got like very like simple, fluid responses, you know, that were like, huh, I don't know why I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Right. So I think the, what, what happened in the Al-Qasim was like for the first time, like I felt very confident. Right. So one of the things that uh, Dr. Muhammad told us, like we studied logic with him first before we did Aqlina. He said that when you see and when you when you get into like a discussion with atheists or you read like a piece by atheists, he said when it comes to like debates or discussions, right, they're probably not going to mess up in the logical flow of the consequences. Right. Mm-hmm. What you'll see most of the times is like, the premise that they're starting with is a premise that we don't agree with, right? And ever since then, what I did, the, I think my first spark of confidence was like, I'm like, okay, let me try this, right? So I went and like, you know, I just browsed the web, I just browsed online, and I found like, you know, some I think there's like proofs against God's existence. Right? Not something everyone should do, right? You take aqidah first, then do it. Let's <laughs> take you know, take a proper class. Right? The reason I wanted to try this was like, okay, let me see how what I've learned matches up against this. Mm-hmm. Is word for word what Dr. Muhammad said? Like, all the problems here is the premises that they're starting with, right? Like first foundations, you know, founda- foundational principles that we hold that are not common with them, mm-hmm. right? So that's for the first time in my life I was like. Man, like, you know, like, I really feel like I can engage with the academic, uh, you know, arena outside of the madrasa. Yeah. Right? So it's the first time I felt like, okay, like, I can engage with, you know, these other sciences and I can hold my own. Oh, sure. Right? So that was like my, and I I still remember I went and I told Dr. Muhammad, like, you know, what you told me was like exactly true. Right? And he's like, 
Well, why are you surprised? <laughs> like, well, yeah, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, ever since then, you know, and then uh, I have to give an honorable mention to Dr. Omar Qureshi too. Sure. Yeah, so we had, uh, the, uh, I think he's as a tuna now. And we had a few uh, conversations with him. Uh, and those also really helped. Right. So this was like my coming back home, right? Coming back here. This was where I actually had conversations with scholars who were very open and said, like, no, you should ask these questions. Mm -hmm. Ask these questions. Yeah, Sheikh Omar is man, mashallah, amazing, bro. Yeah. He's an OG man. Yeah. He used to play Ultimate Frisbee with them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I would have joined. Oh man. Yeah, cause he was he there when you were at CBSA or no? He was. He was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, and like I actually formally apologized to him. Like, I'm like, Sheikh, I was like such a jerk back in the day. Like, I didn't know who you were, and I yeah, didn't like, sure. you know, I didn't value you the way I should have valued you. He's like, oh, no, it's okay. You know, it's like he's so soft spoken. Yeah, like, yeah, it's high school. You know, it's like, it's okay. Like, yeah, you know, high school. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, like, that was, yeah. And then, you know, just like, he, he has a nice way of explaining things, right? And he kind of, like, laid the foundation for some other, to answer some of the questions that yeah. I had, you know? And then, uh, after that, I went into Dora, and then, or the first year of the advanced program. And then, um, so those two years, they became, like, hadith intensive, mm -hmm. right? So it's, like, just looking up narrators uh, of a hadith. You know, Dara Qasim's way of teaching Dawah is really different. So, like, each book has, like, a different purpose, right? So, like, we use, like, uh, Nasai and Ibn Majah just to, not for the purpose of the metan, but for the purpose of the senad. Right, so you look at like, okay, what's this narrator about? You learn how to find them in an encyclopedic works, right? And that's what we did. And then, you know, I think if I discussed every book, it would take too long. Yeah. Right? But um, those first two years were very hadith and uh, kind of like fic intensive. Mm -hmm. right? But the third year, we studied this book that like, I like love, I love that book. Right. I, I absolutely like that's the book that I have like notes scribbled like left and right, like you know, like in the margins on my and then the saddest thing is I can't find that book. I don't know, like I was moving oh, and I lost what's the name of the book? It's called Tabsaratul Adilla, right? Okay. So I love that book. It's written by uh, Abu Mu'in and Nasifi. Right. So I love that book because like from day one, like remember the green notebook? Mm -hmm. It's like from day one, it was just like it was on a roll. You're just checking off answers. It's just checking off. like, <laughs> And then like sometimes you get more answers and then more questions and then you get more answers. Right? So it's just like, it was like, I think that year was just like the most like, uh, that was like the turning point of of my academic, I'd say like journey. So during your Hadith studies, are you, you have three other students with you? For the first two years, I was alone. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, it was just me. So it's just the two years prior to the Dora studies, yeah. you had three three classmates. The first year yeah. before the Dora studies. Okay. Right? Before the advanced program studies, I had three classmates. After that, they all left. And then it's just you solo. It is me solo. It's back to what you love. So that was that was really nice. And like, I always advise people like, hey, if you can find a place where you get like individual attention full time, mm -hmm. forget about any other madrasa. Yeah. And go there. Right? Because you're going to get hands on, right? Where the teacher's like full focus is on you. Yeah. Right. So I think, uh, alhamdulillah, like, you know, whatever I have is because, you know, I got a lot of individual attention from teachers. Mashallah. Right. And even when I did have classmates in like the third year and stuff, they were like maybe like one or two. Right. So I had Bukhari and then I had Tafsiratul Adillah. And that was just like, it was life changing. It's like, yeah. And it's like everything I hadn't had in terms of question, they're just like, you know, like by the end of the year, it was just all done.
Not sure, no. And it's just like, that was when I, I could say like, I like a full confidence, right? Like, not just like, I'm not just believing it because like, you know, like, yeah, like I know I'm supposed to believe it. Like I'm believing it because I know it's right. Yeah. And it's just like, I can like, and I can convince the person in front of me if he's being fair-minded that, hey, you also have to accept this, right? And of course I can defend it. Yeah. Right. So that that type of confidence, I mean, I attribute all of that to Dal Qasim. Mashallah. Right. Because that was a Sheikh means like, you know, like his vision is always like he's always more focused on Aqidah. Right? Everything comes on the back of Aqidah. Right? So, I mean, that's I mean, everyone, anyone that's had like any experience with Sheikh Amin, right, the way he talks, right, the way he's like he's very like uh, sophisticated in his speech. Right. That comes from studying Aqidah. That comes from studying Quran. Right. So, yeah, that's that that was just, you know, that's what I took away from the advanced program. Right. Uh, of course, I learned a lot of hadith and I learned everything else. But I mean, everyone has their own like passion. Yeah. Right? And that became my passion. Right. So that's why when I finished, then I wanted to do more. I wanted to do more studies in Aqidah. And I continued with uh, Dr. Muhammad where we did um, uh, comparative theology. Uh, we also studied Zahiri uh, Aqidah. Right, we studied Ahnul Athar, right? Uh, you know, we studied uh, Ashari, Matuidi. We studied even from like the Tasawwuf aspect, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like it was, it, it was great because I actually had two periods where I could just like, um, you know, uh, where I could just research. And it was also good because that was the first year I started teaching full time. And Alhamdulillah, my Asati that felt the confidence in me that I would be able to teach Aqidah Tahawiyah, mm-hmm. right? The, the Shah of Aqidah Tahawiyah of Ghaznawi. Right. So I, you know, Dr. Muhammad, like he, he, he said, like, you know, like, I feel like he can teach it. Right. So they absolutely no uh, credit to me there. It's just because like he really worked hard mm-hmm. and like, and he really taught the subject well. Mashallah. So basically everything I taught in class was just like me regurgitating whatever he said to me. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's just like. Mashallah. So you're, you're teaching at the same time you're I learning. I was teaching at the same time. Mashallah. And you, when did you graduate? I graduate. Well, I haven't had a formal graduation because we were under construction. Yeah, I mean, not a formal graduation, but when did you finish up? Last year. Last year, okay, mashallah. Are you talking graduation from the advanced program or the specialization? From the advanced program. Uh, two years ago. Two years so ago. I, I was teaching, even in my last year of advanced program, I was teaching part-time. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've been teaching at Dara Qasim for, like, three, this is my third year now. Mashallah. And currently you're in Raleigh. Yes, and you're what are you teaching over there? The Sheikh Lahin program, basically. Yeah. So like you have like the in the uh, beginning Arabic, right? Then you have intro to Quran, intro to Islam, uh, intro to you know Hadith, Fiqh, um, you know Aqidah, right? There are some students that are a little bit more advanced there. I am teaching one of them uh, a Tahawiyah, a commentary of Tahawiyah. Uh, one another one like something else in Nahu. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they're all like uh, uh, f- uh, at the fundamental Arabic level. Okay, mashallah. I have two wrap-up questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, what advices do you have for Hufal or somebody who's looking to memorize? Because mashallah, your method of memorization was such where you start at a young age and you just kept continuing mm-hmm. until you reached a point where you need to take a year off. Um, would you recommend that same method um, or just in general, what advices would you have? I wouldn't recommend the same method because I don't think most people come from that type of uh, background at home. Right? Mm-hmm. So like I had a safety net because I knew no matter how long it took, Abu would make sure I finished. 
Yeah. Right. So I don't think that would work for everyone. But you know, the one thing that I want to say is like people, especially from people from the subcontinent, they have this idea where it's either you do all of hif or you do none of hif. Mm. It's just a completely this is completely backwards way of thinking. Like what what type of way of thinking is that? Yeah. All of Quran is khayr, right? You know one surah good, you know two surahs better, you know three even better. Mm-hmm. And so just keep going. Why do you need to stop? Right? So this whole thing is like, well, I need to do hiv. You do hiv love half the Quran, you half love half the Quran. MashaAllah, yeah. Right? So like I think the problem comes because of we have that philosophy in mind that like, oh, hiv means you've done the whole thing. Sure, but who said you can't do hiv love half? Just keep on going, right? So, I mean, will everyone be able to take off time to do full-time? No. Then you memorize what you can, right? And that has its own khayr, right? So, I mean, don't ever stop khayr that's coming. So, it's like people think like, well, can I take off time to do it? Or will I have, if I start part-time now, will I ever have time to finish it uh, by going full-time? I don't think I will. You know, the schedule is not aligning. Mm -hmm. And then they just don't do it. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. I mean, personally, like, I, I don't want to come off like, you know, like harsh, but like th- that philosophy to me is completely backwards. You know, like someone says like, well, what if I memorize and then, you know, like uh, I don't get enough time to review it. So then memorize less and then continue reviewing it. There's always options. There's always ways. Yeah. So you're saying like, no matter what, just don't ever give up on memory. Yeah. Don't ever stop memorizing. Just keep memorizing. Mashallah. And so, I mean, yeah, keep memorizing, keep reviewing it too. Memorize enough so that your review, uh, your review schedule is practical, is pragmatic. Absolutely. And, you know, mashallah, you've, you've been to many different madaris. You've traveled. Um, primarily, you enjoy and you've mentioned that you would recommend, obviously, uh, to find studies with, uh, with a smaller classroom size, yeah. preferably just alone. Um, any other advices do you have for individuals that... You know, they're looking to study, you know, part-time, full-time, whatever it is. Would you recommend, um, you know, traveling overseas, you know, with the hardships of, you know, like you mentioned, like the visa issues um, at times. Would you also recommend that? Or what general advices would you have for people who want to study or are already studying? Yeah, so I, I think there's a few questions in one. Yeah. Okay, so first one is like, okay, part-time study. Absolutely. Study part-time, Right. It's just it's the same question of the health is just wrapped in a different way. Yep. Right? Why stop learning? You can always keep learning. Absolutely. Right? Even if you graduated from a formal uh, program, still continue studying. There's always someone out there that knows more than you. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's those that are looking to start and you, all you can do is part-time, do part-time. We don't expect everyone to be able to do full-time. Yeah. However, I would like to add a disclaimer here. If you are studying part-time, don't expect that you're going to become a graduated and a certified scholar, mm-hmm. right? The purpose is not the title, right? The purpose is not the career either, right? But the idea over here is, you know, like what I call it is academic amana, mm-hmm. right? Let's say there's a person that studies engineering, right? But then doesn't do engineering as a profession, right? They do something else, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you can formally, you know, in some sense, you can call the person engineer, but they're not in the field. Yeah. Right. So in the same way, I feel like people that are studying part time, right? You're studying because you want the you want the knowledge of the dean. Don't after you once you start studying or even after you finish, even if let's say you finish a whole course part time, don't portray yourself as a, you know, academic scholar. Your field that's not your field. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't feel I don't feel it's fair to the ummah for 
to be for someone like that to be portrayed as a bona fide scholar. Right? That person is definitely Ahlul Ilm. We love them. We love all students of knowledge. But we have problems with people that haven't studied and that's not their field, that's not their career. Right? So if you're going into that, if you're going to do that, that's my request to you. Right? So go into the field or go start studying with the mindset that, okay, if I'm not making this my career, I'm not going to go out there and advertise and uh, give, you know, you can hold durus, but, you know, always mention that, you know, if you need masail answered, go to actual ulama. Right? So th th that would be my request, actually. Right? And, do I recommend studying? I think I think that goes without saying, without questioning. Right? I don't think that that even needs to be asked. Right? I think that's my biggest complaint. I can say with like you know, the awam or the 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 common public, right? The people that don't like that are not uh, ulama, is they think like, well, if I'm not ulama, if I'm not trying to become a scholar, then I don't have to study. Uh, I mean, like you know, nowadays, alhamdulillah, people are like, okay, yeah, this, this Islam is more than just prayer. Right, you also have to do dhikr. You have to go like listen to talks, this and that. Right, just like that, you know, ilm is also an aspect that every Muslim has to be, you know, connected to. Right, going to a dars, right, for studying in some way or form, that's something every Muslim should be doing. Right, and that should be part of your schedule. That shouldn't be a that shouldn't be a question. It's like, should I or should I not? Yeah, right? that's just like you know, like you know, you pray, you you pray, you fast. You study the deen, whatever capacity that you can. So that's number one. Okay, number two, uh, when it comes to studying abroad, right? My what I've noticed that even if you read like uh, you know, even if you read the biographies of our uh, scholars in the past, one thing that you'll find is that they always absorbed all of the ilm of the ulama of their own area first, right? And then they went abroad. Right? There's a few reasons for that. Right? First reason is when you're starting, you're just learning fundamental stuff. Right? You don't need a high level of specialization for that. Okay? So now you're going to go overseas. There's all these other things that you're dealing with. Right? You're adjusting to a new place. You might be adjusting to like you know all the mujahada that's there. That's going to take away from your ability and energy to focus on what you actually need to learn. Right? If you have the opportunity, and now in the States, you definitely have the opportunity. Right? Yeah. right? So you have, definitely have the opportunity to you know, learn your basic Arabic, learn your basic fiqh. Right? You have institutions over here that go all the way, you know, that are formerly graduating scholars. Oh. Yeah. Right? Use that. Why are you gonna go and like you know uh, just put yourself in you know strenuous circumstances when you don't need to, right? Afia. We always ask for Afia. Why put yourself in difficulty when you don't need to? Okay. Does that mean I don't think you should travel for in? Absolutely not. Right. That's another thing. If you we always look to our salaf, right? Our salaf. That's rihna nil That's something that they always did, right? But what you have to realize is that. At a certain level, right, when you become specialized enough or when you become advanced enough, you don't need to go and study for a year, right? What you can do is like there's a scholar that's really good in a field. You go and spend like maybe a week or two. Yeah. You don't need necessarily even have to study a book with them. It's just discussions back and forth, right? That type of rihna helps a lot, right? And that you might, you will need to do rihna for because they're all spread out, right? They're not all, you know, 
condensed in one area, right? So for specialization, that's where I think the rihla, that's where traveling comes in, right? So you finish your basic, right? Finish everything that you can have over here, right? Then you go to the bigger ulama, right? You get a higher standard maybe, or, you know, there's, uh, you know, someone's like, you know, very into a certain field and there's a certain scholar that's that's on the top of that field. You uh, it's request time with him. You see, okay, is he doing something? Can I go, you know, get something from him? Right, and that's where the kathratul rihna comes, because it's not as simple as just going traveling to one place and then staying there. No, it's multiple rihnas. Right, you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Sometime here, sometime there. Right, that's where the rihna comes. Right? So that that that's my personal take on st studying abroad. Okay, cool. Man, jazakallah khair for that, man. Uh, I really appreciate that. It's a very interesting take, and it's something, uh, you know, we all need to incorporate into our lives as well. Inshallah. Um, before I let you go, uh, do you have any future plans uh, to continue your studies, or future plans? Any goals? Oh yeah, man. Goals, goals are unlimited, man. But yeah, I, I mean, of course, I want to continue study, and I have every plan and continue study. Inshallah. Right. Um, given the current uh, my teaching load. It's a little bit difficult, but uh, hopefully, like uh, even for that, I'm planning that you know, like uh, in in some capacity, it goes down. Uh, I I really want to you know get an undergraduate study, right? Uh, I mentioned that I'm really into aqidah, right? I mentioned kalam, right? So I'm specifically into like epistemology and like philosophy or the branch of epistemology from philosophy, right? So I I want to go into that. Right, and then uh, once I feel like if once I get an undergraduate, I'll have a better idea of when I want to get a master's or PhD in. Inshallah. Right, so I definitely have plans to continue studying. And so, inshallah, all the listeners can make dua that Allah makes it easy. I mean, I mean, right? Allah then, make it easy for you, man. Yeah. So there are definitely plans there, and I think everyone should have plans to continue studying. It never stops, right? Definitely. Right. So then, Dar Qasim our motto is in the quest for more knowledge. Inshallah. Right? So Always. You remember the motto for CBS? Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, academic excellence in an Islamic environment. <laughs> it was written on top of the stairs, man. <laughs> it was written in the background was green. The color of the calligraphy was, uh, the letters was gold, I think. MashaAllah, man. JazakAllah khairan for coming on, man. May Allah, uh, you know, bless your life with barak and afia. I mean. Um, any plans coming back to Chicago at all? Or you, you, Raleigh's like long-term hold? No, I mean, I'll come back when Sheikh Amin tells me to come back. Okay, inshallah. <laughs> right? You go with your teachers, and they, whatever they say, then you go where the khidmah of deen is needed. Definitely, so, I mean, definitely. Absolutely. If he tells me to stay there, I stay there. When he tells me to come back, I'll come back. Inshallah, right? inshallah. But uh, parents are here, so I come to visit. Yeah. Right? That was one of the conditions uh, Ami set. was like, I'm only going to let you go if you come back and visit me every break. So I'm bound by that. So I have to come back. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mashallah. And JazakAllah khair again for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. No uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with Mona Atik Saab, uh, I believe his information is on darqasim.org. Mm. Um, he's no longer the CEO of the WAN, mm. but you know, he's chilling, doing his thing in Raleigh. Mashallah. JazakAllah khair.